When this old world starts a getting me down And people are just too much for me to face I'll climb way up to the top of the stairs And all my cares just drift right into space Peaceful as can be And there the world below Don't bother me no, no. All right then, how about some James Taylor Up on the Roof Man, that song gives me so much uh, encouragement uh, Sometimes when things are down You gotta figure out a way to Get some perspective on life, a better perspective. And that's what I want to do. I'm Mark Baber, and welcome to Podcast One of what I'm calling Begging to Differ. I'll tell you in a minute how I came up with that idea for Begging to Differ, but I just thank you so much for uh, taking a minute to listen to my first podcast of what I hope will be a bunch from week to week and month to month and years to come. Begging to differ. Where did I get that? Well, you know, it seems to me that our culture and our society that we live in today sort of forces us to think in either-or categories. You're either going to heaven or to hell, or you're a Democrat or Republican, or everything has to be left or right, or up or down, and we're forced to think almost that we only have two choices. And lately I've been thinking there's got to be a different way, a better way. Maybe we could call it a third way, but a different way anyway. And that's why I just want to think from week to week about some different issues in life and with some different people in life about just begging to differ. And it's also true of my own life that I've always wanted to be a difference maker. Uh, Never content with just being one of the group. I want to be a winner. I want to be a helper. I want to be an others-focused person. And so I really, my whole adult life, I've kind of focused on wanting to be different and, and a difference maker. And so that kind of fed into my thinking of doing a podcast and calling it Begging to Differ. But why me? Why Mark Baber? Why right now? Why am I sort of driven to do what it takes to make a podcast and put it out there in the world of this wonderful digital world that we live in and let my voice be one of multiplied millions of voices who think we have something to say and have the courage maybe to jump out there and say it? Several things really have kind of put me in a mode to do what I'm doing this very second and to help you do what you're doing this very second, and that is paying me the honor of listening to me. Three books that I've read in recent years have kind of really stimulated my thinking. One of them that I've read most recently is a book by a guy named Rob Bell called How to Be Here. It's a wonderful book, so many good things about living in the current moment 
But one of the things about this book that has really spoken to me is a metaphor that Rob uses about the creative life. Uh, and he talks about himself as an author sitting before a blank screen of a computer with a blanking cursor, a blinking cursor there in front of him. And, and he uses that blinking cursor as a metaphor for all of us that basically says in your life and being the best you, there's something that is uniquely yours to do and the cursor is blinking and what are you going to do with it? And so as I read that, I was thinking, I got to do a podcast. That's my blinking cursor right now. There's certainly some others in my life that I'm going to respond to, but one of the reasons I'm doing what I'm doing right now is because it's my answer to the blinking cursor in my life and a deep need inside of me to bring out the best creative gifts that I think may be deposited inside of me. Another book that I, I read recently, um, I'll come back to in a minute, but uh, back on the Rob Bell thing, you know, I was thinking, you know, well, what, what is it that you can do? And one of the things that I know I can do is talk. I've had a gift, I know in my life, for quite some time, uh, the gift to kind of communicate. And it's a gift that in large measure has been dormant for 16 and a half years. And there's a reason for that, and I'm going to talk about it in a few minutes, but I'm thinking it's time for a resurrection of a gift that's been dormant in me in large measure for 16 and a half years. That story I'll come to in just a minute. You know, for 27 years of my life, my adult life, I was a Southern Baptist minister, either as a pastor or working on a university campus or for four years of my life living overseas in South Africa and working on some educational institution campuses over there, among other things. And now I'm what they call a former, a former Southern Baptist minister. And let me tell you something. If you ever talk to anybody in this world who is a former Southern Baptist minister, you got to know this. The reason you're former is because of some trauma, some trauma of some kind. Let me cut straight to the chase and tell you what my trauma was. It's the trauma of alcoholism. In my earliest days as a minister, I had some early on set of internal angst about all that it must have meant to live out as a minister. You come out of, for me, seven straight years of training to be a minister, and, and I felt like, you know, I'm a knower here. I've got a Master's of Divinity. What an awful name for a degree. Because, I mean, really, let's think about it. Whoever masters whatever divinity is. But anyway, I came out in 1979, 3.8 grade point average on a four-point scale with a Master's of Divinity, and for whatever reason, I came out of that school thinking I'm supposed to be the local knower of things holy and sacred and relevant to the living of life. I kind of knew better deep inside my heart that I really wasn't a knower, 
But yet I found myself in a position where I felt like it was my job to be the local knower, the local expert on things divine. A couple things early on in my ministry kind of helped me know deep in my heart that I, in fact, was not a knower. One of them has to do with an old boy, a cattle farmer by the name of Chigger Taylor. I've probably been a full-time minister for three, maybe four weeks. You know, a lot of experience under my belt there. And my phone rang one day. This is pre-cell phone days when people had to call an office or a house. And phone rang. I think I was out in the yard. My wife called me and said, there's a telephone call. I came inside to learn that Chigger Taylor had fallen dead out in his pasture chasing up some cows, and they needed me. I jumped in my car, I was going lickety-split down the country road, and I realized about halfway there that I didn't have a clue what I was supposed to do. But as much as I knew about theology and hermeneutics and philosophy and all those things, I don't know what you're supposed to do when you drive up onto a farm where there's a man laying dead out among some cow manure and his wife is in shock and I'm supposed to be the guy with the answers. I knew deep in, deep in my heart that I didn't have any answers, and I had the good sense that day not to try to give any, but I'm going to tell you something. I was deeply conflicted. Well, I lived through that experience, and I think I actually made some good friends by not trying to be the answer man when deep in my heart I felt like I was supposed to be. I just tried to live with those people through that pain, but I was haunted by their questions of why, why Chigger, why us, why now, why this, and knowing deep in my heart I didn't have the answers to why. And then soon after Chigger Taylor died, I met a family named the Barretts. The Barretts had this boy who had cancer, 13 years old, and he was obviously dying. And in time, Chris Barrett did die. And I remember the agony of soul in my own heart asking why, why, why? Knowing that I didn't know why and probably never would know why. And so my heart was introduced to the angst of not knowing on the one hand and on the other hand being in a career where right or wrong, I thought I was supposed to be the knower, and I needed to be a knower, and I needed to be an expert, and I had people that were looking to me as the person with the answers. I'll never forget the day Chris died. Uh, one of the guys in my congregation drove straight to my house. We stood by his pickup truck. He looked me in the eye and said, explain this to me, preacher, and I couldn't. So, that's a little bit of the angst that was inside of me. I, uh, you know, had gone to these Southern Baptist schools, and I'd gotten all this knowledge, and I was involved in ministry and doing a lot of things that seemed right, but deep in my heart, I just was facing some unknowing that drove me up the wall. And unfortunately for me, one of the ways that I dealt with the inner angst was through the use of alcohol. 
Now, if you're a Southern Baptist preacher, you probably know better than to do that. But knowing better and doing better sometimes for a lot of us are two different things. To cut a really long story short, as anybody who has an issue with a drug or an alcohol, sooner or later, they're going to have what's called a bottom. And I hit a bottom. And when you hit a bottom, at least for me it was this way, you really think, well, I've reached the end of the world. But it's an odd thing, you know, you reach the end of the world, or what feels like the end of the world, and in retrospect now, 16 and a half years later, I realize for me, it was actually the beginning of a journey that I would have never traveled without a colossal personal failure. Three books I've read recently, and this is what I kind of mentioned earlier, got ahead of myself, but three books that have really made a difference in my life and helped me to gain some perspective on my own personal failure and to kind of understand and be able to interpret it and see it in another light, kind of the James Taylor up on the roof kind of light. Three books I want to mention to you. One of them is by this tremendous lady named Krista Tippett, who if you listen to NPR podcasts, she has one called On Being. And she's written a book recently on, called On Becoming Wise, a wonderful piece that I recommend anybody read because it's just a study of how people all over the world and for all of time have, have gained wisdom. And one of the things she says that is true in every culture for all of time and every religious grouping of all of time is that people come to realize wisdom is born for most people in the aftermath of things that didn't go right, whether it's personal failure or some outside tragedy that came people's way that they did not deserve and did not invite into their lives. It just just happens that People get wise through what goes wrong. It's a powerful lesson to know in life, and it's helped me to kind of see that. Another book is by a guy that I dearly love, Father Richard Rohr, a Franciscan priest who lives out in New Mexico and runs a place called the Center for Action and Contemplation. He's written many books, pretty much all of which I've read, but One of the most meaningful books of Father Richard's for me is a book called Falling Upward, A Spirituality for the Two Halves of Life. And Father Richard has that same theme as Krista Tippett does, and that is is that we grow in life and we move to a more mature second half of life kind of spirituality where we can live with contradictions and that sort of thing. We get there on the avenue of failure. And that's certainly been my story. And then yet another book that has really been meaningful to me is a book by a lady named Elizabeth Lesser, and it's called Broken Open, colon, How Difficult Times Help Us Grow. Elizabeth Lesser's book is just story after story after story of people like you and me who for whatever reason had personal tragedies, personal failure, bad choices, bad events, different things that came into their lives that disrupted life immeasurably, 
And as it turns out, it was the event or the failure or the loss or the pain that broke them open to deeper and more meaningful and more expansive realities. And so these books and my own life experience have kind of caused me to be at a point in my life where I realize, well, you know what I've done in my life, even though I'm a former Southern Baptist minister, is I've failed forward. I truly have fallen upward. And so I kind of have been thinking, what are some of the lessons I've learned in life that really mean a lot to me now, and I think might could mean something to you that I've learned from my personal failing, failing forward. There's about four of these. I'll hit them pretty quickly, and then maybe in future podcasts we can expand on them, and we, we will expand, <coughs> pardon me, expand on them as we, uh, you know, interview some people or talk to some other people who are brave enough to tell their story of loss and pain and how their life has been a different life because of loss, but in retrospect, it was actually a better life. It's kind of crazy, but that seems to be the way it works out. One of the great lessons I've learned, I know it deeply in my heart, is that failure really is not final. You wouldn't want to say this to somebody in the early stages of whatever pain they're going through, in the early loss of a child or loss of a marriage or loss of a career or or lost health, any number of things that can happen, a lost spouse, uh, God forbid, a lost child, uh, things that you can't even imagine, lost fortunes, lost homes through tornadoes and fires and different things like that. Like I say, you wouldn't want to say this to somebody right in the middle of their awful pain, but here's the truth I've learned in retrospect when I thought my world had come to an end that my failure was not final, it was really just an opportunity. An opportunity to be more real, more genuine, more authentic. An opportunity to see possibilities for the living of my life that I'd never even imagined. An opportunity for me to learn the powerful lesson that it's okay to lean into not knowing and not being an expert an opportunity to identify with all the people of the world, which happens to be all the people of the world who have a problem sooner or later. We identify with people. A couple things that all of us have in common are we were all born and we're all going to die. And I think a third one in the middle is on the journey, we're all going to have some problems that are tough, tough, tough. I, <clears throat> I like to say all oh, God's children got issues, and we really do. And so it's easier to live a non-judgmental life when you can come in touch with your own failure and realize it is not final. And when you encounter fellow strugglers on the journey of life to identify with them in their pain, winds up creating opportunities that we never knew existed, failure is not final. And then another thing I've learned on this journey is you really can win by losing. It's kind of odd. I mean, we're in a winner's culture. 
I'm a big Arkansas Razorback fan. So we get our experience in losing, certainly have in recent years. But you hate to think about that. It's not a good thing when Bama beats us. It's not a good thing when we lose one to LSU. I hate it with all my heart. But I'm not talking about football games here. I'm talking about the living of life. And the truth is, sometimes in life, the best win is, is born out of one of the most awful losses. So sometimes you can win by losing. I happen to have uh, joined a 12-step group that focuses on helping people get over the disease of addiction and alcoholism, drugs, and that sort of thing. And there's these spiritual steps you take. And the first one may be the most important. It says, we admitted we were powerless over, in my case, alcohol. But just taking any step, any time, or the step, step one of saying, I'm powerless over and fill in the blank. Oddly enough, the admission of powerlessness opens the door to winning. One of the things I like about the 12-step fellowship that I'm a part of is you realize everybody that ever walks in the door got there on a losing streak. So losing then becomes the avenue to winning. And it's a crazy, somewhat twisted, in the best sense of the word, twisted way of looking at life, but it's true, and I've learned this, you can win sometimes by losing. So I want to encourage any of you who in that tough time right now and the losses are mounting up, if you let it, it can actually be an opportunity to find a victory and a win that you didn't even think was possible. So failure is not final. You can't win by losing. And then a third thing I've learned is if you have the courage to name a problem, you will disempower that problem. Probably the hardest words that ever came out of my mouth one night back in about 1997 or 98, I was talking to my wife. We kind of knew that I had a problem. And I let the words come across my lips that said, you know, I might be an alcoholic. It took a couple of years for it to really totally sink in. But I think that night a journey of recovery was begun in me because by the grace of God, I had the courage to name the problem. And naming the problem sometimes is the first step and the most powerful step and the initial step to disempowering the problem. That was certainly my experience. And it can be that way for you with almost any problem that you got. Is your marriage in trouble? Own it, say it. Do you have an addiction issue? Are you battling with the abuse of food? You have health issues that are because of lifestyle choices? Name it, say what it is. And you'll be surprised at how by naming a problem, you can disempower the problem and move on to something else. And then the fourth thing I would say is this, that God, the universe, if you will, the goodness that is written into the fabric of the world, God really is biased toward helping 
the humble people. Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble. There's something to that. The humility that comes from the brokenness of owning our pain, our loss, our unfinished business, our not knowing, turns out to be the most powerful thing in the world because if we can ever get any degree of humility about us, it seems like the God of the universe, the unexplainable mystery of goodness in this world, is tilted toward people who have the grace of humility. I certainly got a lot of work left to do in being a truly humble person, but I can tell you it's a humbling thing to be a Southern Baptist minister, to look into the mirror and say to yourself, you're an alcoholic, knowing full well it's going to cost you your career probably in, in that faith tradition, and then just facing the music. Humility brought me into experiences with the divine, the God of the universe, the other goodness that there is that I'd never imagined and certainly never learned about in any theological textbook. So when my world fell apart, it was crazy. I had two kids in college, private school, spending about 30000 or more a year trying to keep them educated in addition to the student loans that they took. I had one in high school. I had no clue what I could do to try to make a living for my life. I talked to a buddy of mine, a guy named Sam Fraley, who had lawnmowers and a sweeper. And I said, man, you think I could help you mow lawns? And he said, I could. As it turned out, I didn't have to. Uh, strangely enough, I was in a drug and alcohol rehab and a guy called me and said, I think I've heard you need a job. And I go, well, yeah, but do you know where I am? He said, yeah, I know where you are. Just call me when you get out. And I had a guy that believed in me and gave me an opportunity to make a difference in my life. And it's crazy. I've told people I went to work in the insurance industry, an industry that pretty much if there's ever a social event, there's going to be alcohol there. And it's odd. I spent 25 years of my life in a career where you weren't supposed to drink alcohol, and I did. I fell out of that job into a job where you're kind of expected to, and I don't. I'm different. I'm begging to differ. It hadn't been a problem. It's been a wonderful journey in the new job that the God of the universe opened for my life to feed my family and have experiences and to learn kind of how the real world lives but it's been a real difference maker in my life. And really, it's taught me to do things like that lead song we use today, get up on the roof and take another perspective at life. So folks, I want to thank you for listening today. That's about all I got right now. Let's beg to differ, and I'll see you soon with another podcast. And people are just too much. For me to face I'll climb way up To the top of the stairs And all my cares Just drift Right into space On the roof It's peaceful